The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, Champions League. Real have Vinicius, Liverpool have big issues, Mbappe is delicious and Bayern reach for the tissues. We focus in on all the midweek action, much like the 8K camera didn't, and have a big look ahead to the weekend, reprising, as it does, the weirdest day in Premier League history. All of that plus more inter-totally drama, it's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we are on Thursday, the 8th of April. And on the show today, we've got Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Also with us is Dominic Fifield. Hi, James. Nice to see you, Dominic. And also from ESPN Brazil, Natalie Jedra. Hello. Hi, Natalie. It's a big week for you, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, because you're doing a half marathon this weekend. Oh, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes, I am. And the funny thing is I'm doing the half marathon in the morning and then I'm covering Spurs Man United in the afternoon. Which will be more arduous. That's the question. (laughs) In addition to all of that, you've got Jack Lang uh, against you in your first round uh, intertotally quiz. Very much looking forward to that. Crikey. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Duncan, thanks so mm. much for leaving your train set to join us today. <laughs> yeah, I've finished it. I've done all the bridges. I've painted the tunnel. Um, yeah, no, I enjoy... Train sets from... never finish, Duncan. Never. Really? Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I do enjoy references from the 1970s. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. But not after the 1992. So this is all in response to a bit of a Twitter spack. Can I call it that? Uh, Stan yeah, Collymore so. helpfully published a list of football terms that he doesn't enjoy hearing. Mm. Get this lot in the bin, says Stan. Double pivot, expected goals, generational talent, low block, transition, beat the press, recycle mm. the ball and turnover. So shame on you if you've used any of those. Duncan, you threw first shade saying, I am just sad that football used the exact same terminology from 1888 to 2007 and then decided to change everything on one day. Stan replied, I'm only sad that Twitter has allowed people who'd ordinarily be sat at home with train sets to use their half-finished English degree to sell coal to Newcastle based on their superior, I've done air quotes, everyone, ability to frame football wordage. Boom. (laughs) Crikey, you didn't leave the house for how many days after that? Well, I had a big delivery from Hornby, so I didn't, I couldn't really get out. Um, I mean, the point I was trying to make was that I think every generation um, looks to a younger generation and thinks their terminology is is new and and pointless. But it happens to every single every single one. You know, twenty years ago, people were saying the same thing about assists, but they're that's pretty standard were language they? in football now. Yeah, yeah. People really? used to say assists were killing the game. But now it's just an accepted part of of how we analyse football. So, I w- you know, I was the point is that um, language over football develops the whole time, and I think it's a bit it's a bit pointless to complain of people coming up with new terms, especially when they're ones that coaches use to to help get messages across to players. So, mm. I remember the first time I heard low block. Oh, Sends a shiver down my spine to think of it. Uh, Dom, how do you where do you stand on this uh, on these culture wars? I would be of the opinion that language evolves all the time anyway, and I don't have a clue what my kids are talking about most of the time. So um, it's no great surprise that uh, that uh, Stan might be baffled by certain things that uh, the younger generations aren't. 
Natalie, is this a is this a problem in Brazil? Yes, yes, it is. I was actually thinking here, thinking back <laughs> about the expressions that I don't like that really annoy me. Oh, really? Like you what? Know? Yes, like defensive phase. Instead of saying, oh, they defended really well. No, their defensive phase was really positive, was really good. So, no, they just defended, you know. So, what's the worst phrase that people use in uh, Brazilian football coverage when they're trying to sound clever like Duncan? <laughs> uh, well, we use transitions a lot. So, if you throw in the same sentence, defense, defensive phase and transitions, you're the, the most clever person Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I'll be monitoring your output today with particular <laughs> attention. Uh, let's turn our thoughts then to midweek action, almost as exciting a clash of footballing cultures in the Champions League. Tuesday, Real Madrid beat Liverpool 3-1, just like last time. Man City needed a late Phil Foden goal and some controversial refereeing to claim a 2-1 victory over Dortmund. Wednesday then, it was a 2-0 win for Chelsea in their away leg against Porto, whilst in a Munich snowstorm... Paris Saint-Germain went 2-0 up against Bayern and ended up winning 3-2. Woof. What are your reactions to all of that? What a game in Munich, first of all. It was brilliant. Honestly, it was one of those games that could last four hours and it could go either way. It was so entertaining. But I think I'm, I was very surprised with, with PSG in a way because we're always talking about how PSG, when it, when it gets to it uh, in the Champions League, they just don't have enough. And uh, the impression that I, that I got from that Bayern Munich match is that they, 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 they are overcoming that. They, they look much, much more ready. Uh, in, in Champions League, they seem to be in a different level compared to, to this season in, in Ligue 1, for example. Mm. But after Barcelona, now Bayern Munich, you know, you, you don't doubt anymore that they can win this these big games. And of course, we have to talk about Mbappé because well, he course. has, oh God, eight Champions League goals this season and he just, he keeps delivering in big games and that's very impressive because shows a lot of personality linking up really well. Neymar had two assists, the the, the one to Marquinhos was just brilliant and I think Neymar as a number 10 is the best Neymar. Indeed, Neymar with a pair of assists, Mbappe with a brace, which is remarkable because you remember how not long ago we were talking about the fact that he'd gone a whole year without scoring in the Champions League and now he's picked up eight in this year's competition. That third goal in particular, I mean, they were all, all pretty impressive, but that third goal with a little... Uh, Gab Marcotti tweeted that Sky Italia had analysed his, his foot speed on that. He took 11 steps in less than two seconds. And, of course, that last little kind of dummy that completely sold the defender. I think they might have been watching a Michael Flatley video instead of the, the game, but right. I don't know. But it was a brilliant... It was sort of... A non-Rabona version of the Lamella goal against Arsenal, in a way, in the sort of sense it was a nutmeg that wrong-footed the keeper. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's on great form. He's so good. I reckon if Chelsea signed him as their main striker, he could get into double figures for goals. That's how good he is. <laughs> Especially if he was playing against this Manuel Neuer character. Yeah. The first goal, Mbappe's opener, basically just went straight through him, which is not ideal. But, I mean... It was, like you said earlier, it had everything. The, the, the fact that the, the snow was swirling and obviously PSG have got their star players, but Bayern were just... I mean, again, I don't want to upset any mid-90s centre-forwards, but um, expected goals has kind of proven its worth a bit this week because Bayern was so dominant for much of the game. They, they clocked up an XG of 3.76, which is the most in the last five years by any 
team in a knockout game in the Champions League who didn't uh, who lost the game. Um, it actually beat the previous high was Liverpool's three point five against Atletico last year, which was a not dissimilar game in some respects. Um, very dominant, but but lost three two. And uh, I mean, you've never seen a team miss Lewandowski more than you did, I think, last mm. night. So he, how many goals do you reckon Lewandowski would have got in that game? Four. Well, five, they had thirty-one maybe? shots. Yeah. Yeah. A fair few, you'd think. I mean, they have risked this kind of performance before. Thinking back to that massive win they had against Barcelona in the uh, in the kind of final eight, whatever, in, in Lisbon last year. It started out very similar to this game, but uh, possibly the lack of the big pole up front converting things uh, was the difference. But Matley's suggestion that PSG have now overcome their mentality issues, it has been a remarkable kind of revenge checklist run they've been on, knocking out Barcelona and, and now uh, with a significant advantage, Dom, against the team that beat them in the final last year. Yeah, it seems to be their priority as well, given how stuttering their form is in Liga. But but the the magic of this tie is that you don't suspect that it's over. I mean, it could easily go the other way in the, in the return leg in in Paris. It's it's it is mouth watering everything, and and the fact that it was such a great occasion and such a such a compelling contest um, was probably to be expected. But it it will be again and. And you you don't you don't write off Bayern Munich from coming back, and I don't know what Lewandowski's fitness status would no, be for next week. He's definitely that? he's definitely out apparently definitely for, out. for next week, and Serge Gnabry potentially back, but he mm. tested positive for COVID nineteen to miss this game, which means that he's pretty much in doubt for the second leg as well. Big issues there. Just to put this into context for Paris Saint Germain, it's only. Bayern's second defeat in their last twenty nine Champions League matches, and the first time they've been beaten at home. Since November 2019, Duncan. Their last four Champions League defeats have come under different managers as well. Right. So it shows how rare it is. As for Poch, last time he faced Bayern, he was getting beaten 7-2 when he was Spurs manager. So this must have been especially sweet. What are the chances, do you think, of it getting turned around in Paris, Natalie? Oh, I think the there big chances. It can go either way. The, the, the tie is completely open. If you look at uh, performances like um, like Thomas Müller, he was just outstanding yesterday. And if if Bayern Munich can can get some of those chances created, and even Chupo Moting, that everybody always criticizes, he, his header was, was brilliant, you know? So it, it's just a very high level of football. And and uh, we can go on and on about the, the chances that Bayern Munich um, didn't get. But Kaylor Navas... Mm. What a performance. So yeah. so it really it's it's so open it can go either way. Right. Chopper Motor Burn Van three thousand says will Chopper Motor and Marquisio kick on after making their first appearances for their clubs last night and scoring. Uh no idea what you're talking about, Burn. Uh Duncan. I mean, I don't want to paraphrase Thomas Tuchel, but if Bayern play as well as they did last night in the second leg, I think they'll they'll go through. Why would that be paraphrasing Thomas Tuchel? Because that was what he said about Chelsea and West Brom earlier in the week. He said okay. they won unexpected goals in other metrics. So. Right. Dom, who do you have going through to the semis? Bayern, I'm afraid. Really? Um, yeah. I, I, I think they'll... I think the, you know that, that big occasion, that one-off occasion where they, they need to, to pull a result out, I think they will. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, just, I, I think that the whole prolongation of PSG's pursuit of 
of the Champions League is intriguing in its own way, and I want it to be extended for another year, I'm afraid. <laughs> I see. All right. Well, me- meantime, what about Liverpool's chances after Tuesday's 3-1 defeat at the hands of Real Madrid? Uh, my big book of how to punditry says Liverpool have form in turning bad results in Spain around. But, Duncan, you've got worrying stats for me here, haven't you? Well, in quarterfinal terms in the European Cup, they've lost the first leg three times um, and they've only turned it round once. And that was the famous St Etienne game in the in the 70s, which obviously is a kind of origin story in some ways for the power of the cup on a, on a big European night. And... Liverpool won't have that in the, in the second leg, so they're going to have to rely on on you know form at Anfield and tactics, which has not been their strength in 2021. They need two goals at home to Real Madrid, uh, at least, to progress. And yes. How many goals have they scored at Anfield so far this year? Uh, one, which is half of two, I'm informed. So, yeah, I mean, obviously they play Villa this well, weekend. They haven't played that... there in, what, five weeks, is it? They haven't had a game at Anfield in a long time. No, but as everyone remembers, it's become... They do play worse at Anfield now. It's become a real millstone playing there. And I think mm. that's why the Villa game is really massive this weekend because they, if they lose to Villa, I mean, they're going to come out against Real Madrid in, in a bad way. If they beat Villa, I think, you know, they'll, they'll have thrown off that, that fear a little bit. But it's a huge task for them. Right. Villa, who, of course, they lost to 7-2 at Villa Park earlier on in the season. Uh, on what was, as we'll touch on later on, a, a crazy day of action. Uh, Real Madrid, anyway, getting the win on Tuesday. The same scoreline as the 2018 final with a goal from Asensio and a brace from Vinicius. Sam writes in saying, interested in Vinicius Jr., who receives relatively little hype and fanfare considering his age, feet and club. What are the expectations of him in Madrid and Brazil? Well, Natalie, let's talk about Vinicius. Yeah, because there there is still a lot of suspicious looks around Vinicius Jr. He, he left Brazil very high rated, not only because he was obviously going to Madrid, but because he was playing really well in the most popular club in the country, Flamengo. But he's still known for being a player that misses a lot of opportunities. He's very criticized in Madrid because of that and, and for, for some Brazilians as well, uh, which is kind of unfair because we have to bear in mind that he's only 20, but he is very skillful. And those those goals were very important for him because the Madrid press many times they they are just they can be very mean with Vinicius Jr. Let's say and so so it was really important. But there is still this suspicious around Vinicius wasting too many chances. Mm-hmm. And besides Vinicius in in that match, we we have to to to. Uh, praise Eder Militão because everybody was talking about uh, Sergio Ramos and Varane not playing and Eder Militão as well he was uh uh, very criticized many times. He was always like the underrated and it, it took him a while to get some good performances under his belt for Madrid. Uh, but he he's 23. He had one year of experience in Porto and now he seems to to be getting these good performances for Madrid. So mm. so it was good. It was a, a good evening for, for the Brazilians of Real Madrid, of course, not for Liverpool. Right, yeah. Fabulous from... Uh, Real Madrid's midfield of uh, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric and Casemiro as well. and uh, But Vinicius, you say, suspicious looks. The time that he kind of most stood out in this Champions League campaign before now was that, that early group game against uh, Munchen Gladbach when his teammate Karim Benzema was caught telling Fulham Mandi not to pass to Vinicius because, in Benzema's words, he's playing against us. It's quite a turnaround. 
It is. Uh, actually, well, I'm not there, obviously, but uh, Real Madrid's dressing room looks very, you know, complicated, always. <laughs> so, to say the least. But yeah, and, and that shows how how mentally focused he can be, you know, because everybody was talking about be that Benzema is such a reference in Real Madrid and a more experienced player. And there was a lot of talk around uh, that episode. And he's, he's showing that he he can be uh, a reliable player for Real Madrid. That's something that was very questioned so many times. Mm. Must have been really tough for him at that age in a in a foreign city with, a, as you say, a player of that stature uh, calling you out and then the whole thing getting played out on TV as well. Real Madrid looked fabulous then. Liverpool, not so much. Dom, what went wrong? I just think if you... You'll be exposed at this level um, and... The balance of that team hasn't been right all season, really, from the absence of Van Dijk and the the shifting that that caused from midfield into defence with the likes of Fabinho. Now we've got we've re-established Fabinho back in midfield now, but they've got a makeshift centre centre half pairing, and and I don't think there's the same level of faith in in those guys that are filling in there. And it was what Phillips was was playing in this game. And, and Quebec as well. I mean, the, these guys are finding their way at a new club and they were exposed by a, a, a brilliant distribution from, from Cruz in particular. His 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 lofted passes into the sort of space between centre-half and, and a clearly panicked and vulnerable Trent Alexander-Arnold mm. just exposed Liverpool and turned them around. And there's a fragility there that's been there all season. They, they can get away with it to a certain extent in some... Premier League matches. I mean, you know, Arsenal and Wolves, they clean sheets in those games in the Premier League. But when you go and play a top quality team, even a Real Madrid team that isn't maybe quite the force that it was a few years back, you will be exposed. And I think the makeshift nature of that of that Liverpool lineup was was there for all to see. It was the best aerial performance by crew since Top Gun One, I would posit. But um I think our friend Sasha also pointed out that it was the first time that Liverpool started with a midfield of uh, Keita, Fabinho and Wijnaldum since the Aston Villa game, the 7-2. Mm. And it was a bit of a gamble playing Keita. You can see Klopp's logic in that he can break lines probably better than any other Liverpool midfielder and you know carry the threat, but that didn't work at all in the first half. Liverpool didn't even have a shot in the first half of any kind. Well, the 42 um, minutes of the first half that he played. Yeah, Exactly. So that didn't work. And, you know, one of the strengths of Fabinho is that he gives Thiago time and space to play. And then Liverpool did look better in the second half. So mm. you'd imagine it's a very finely poised game. I think the second leg, I think if Liverpool can score first, it's probably doable. But, you know, Madrid have got such threat that you'd, you'd fancy Madrid to go through. What did you think of him being taken off Cater three minutes before Half time, and also for all the question marks over the the back line, was it their fault that Liverpool failed to attempt a single shot in the first half of the game for the first time in this competition in seven years? But it's how the machine works, and that these are all cogs apart of the same machine. And and if 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 you are wary of one element of your team, then I, I suspect there's a I don't know, maybe it becomes safety first in some some regards. I mean, it, it didn't function well in that that lineup in that first forty two minutes. That that was the bottom line. It just didn't it didn't work. Um, they were better with with Thiago on the pitch second half, but yeah, and I I think it all stems from this 
it feels awkward. It still feels awkward. You, you, when you know that you, you are vulnerable, you're not at your best, I mm. imagine that affects your entire team and gameplay. Yeah, and, and when Klopp spoke after the match, he, he sounded a little... You get the, like a tiny bit of regret for making the substitution on the 42nd because it because it, it made the headlines. You know, everybody mm. was talking about it. The, the normal thing, air quotes, to do would be uh, to do the substitution on, on halftime. And, and he couldn't wait three more minutes to not make a big deal out of it. It was going to be a big deal because everybody was talking about Thiago not starting the match. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was weird. But I think he was trying to make a statement like this isn't working and we need to move right now. Or or maybe he was just really upset and he felt like he needed to do something. One of those very emotional decisions. I mean, the two goals, the Vinicius one, uh, first one and the Asensio goal had three shots in between them as well and that was in a space of 10 minutes so there was a sort of rising sense of panic I mean mm -hmm. Don will be delighted to learn that Asensio's goal um, had a higher XG than Palace have managed in 18 of their Premier League games this season so um, right. but it was quite Has close Asensio now. got 38 points in the Premier League to his name? <laughs> uh, no <laughs> Fabulous assist from, for both of those goals from Tony Cruz yeah. and, and, and Trent rather and unfortunately for the for the Asensio one, uh, Liverpool were better in the second half, but they still conceded that third goal with some statuesque defending. I'm not sure I share your confidence, Duncan, that this game is this, this tie is still open. I think uh, there were a lot of suggestions that Real Madrid grow into this competition, and they seem to have, have, have done that in a way that Liverpool, if, if, if they're heading in any direction, it might well be the opposite one. If Liverpool do go out, it will cap a strange four years in which they've gone out to Real Madrid, won the final in Madrid, gone out to Atletico and then again to Real. So. <laughs> wow. Remember when Liverpool almost didn't make it to, to group stage? Yeah, that, that seems like a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, second leg's coming up in a week before that. Real Madrid have the Clasico. Interestingly, Liverpool have that rematch with the Villa side that beat them 7-2 in October, back on the craziest day in the Premier League ever. Well, there's a lot of teams on a par for the Champions League places just now, and every Spurs player will be doing everything he can tonight to drive the club forwards and put the team first, particularly Gareth Bale, who'll be back at Madrid doing what he does best. Hmm. And while nothing's guaranteed for Spurs, you can at least be guaranteed your money back with a risk-free £5 bet builder on Spurs v Man United this Sunday. That's money back as cash if it loses. Paddy Power. Free match online, bet builder bets only, minimum two legs plus, max refund on £5 if it loses. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And he sets away Son. It's the old combination again. And it's worked for Spurs. We were so much better. 
than them. Spurs have six and Manchester United. They were absolutely pathetic. Their body language was terrible. It was spiritless. That's why I prefer even to come in a different game than the United game if I keep walking. For well, good news is we've got a different game to come, Liverpool-Villa, so I'd appreciate it if you don't go just yet. 39th minute, they're looking for a fourth. You wouldn't bet against this, and Ollie Watkins has scored a hat-trick against Liverpool. Oh, yes! Don't think the scoring's over. Should be number seven here. Jack Grealish surely on that. This one, the skipper! Yes! It's the first time a... Premier League champions has ever conceded seven goals. And they were fortunate it wasn't eight or nine, really. Today we did everything wrong. When Jurgen Klopp says wow to you at the end, uh, you know you've done something right. Wow, indeed. George Ware's cousin, Sunderland's beach ball goal. Delia Smith on the lash at half-time. Your boys took a hell of a beating because we have a new weirdest day ever in the Premier League and it is October the 4th, 2020, where in the space of a few hours you had unfancied West Ham winning 3-0 at Leicester, unfancied Aston Villa beating the champions Liverpool 7-2 and a Spurs side managed by Jose Mourinho scoring six goals away at Old Trafford. Woof. It all happens again this weekend. I hope Patrice Ever is booked for the studio once more. Uh, Duncan, can you recall a day as weirdo as that one? It's definitely up there. Um, obviously, the other go-to is February the 5th, 2011, the day Newcastle came from 4-0 down against Arsenal and various other craziness. But yeah, I mean, it was a slight sense of panic because I realised I had to research something quite quickly. It was the first time in football history that Liverpool and United had let in six or more goals on the same day. So really? pretty unprecedented. Right. Dom, great for anybody, you know, who who talks about football for a living. It was wonderful, wasn't it? It was a, a real frenzy of uh, goals flying in. I, I, I ended up having to do a, a piece with Sol Campbell a few days later, talking about how uh, defending appeared to have gone out the window in the Premier League. Um, but it was the first, I think I'm right in thinking it was the, the first weekend or the first round of games where we really looked at it and thought, Wow, these behind closed doors games are completely random, aren't they? Anything can happen in these, and it was. I think that probably came into an element of certainly was Souls was talking about the, the the lack of almost anticipation you get with the the crowd noise, with the you know the the, mm. the gasps of breath and the the crescendos of of, of sound um, almost acts as a warning for for goalkeepers and defenders, and you don't just don't get anything like that in in uh, behind closed door games. There were quite a lot of uh, theories being espoused that month. I seem to recall that because it had been it capped off a few weeks of like really high scores, and it was like maybe football's changed forever. Um, maybe you know we're going to go back to the sort of nineteen fifties of three over three goals a game every every season. That didn't happen. Um, we've had since some of the lowest scoring months, and we've kind of just gone back to kind of normal scoring rate. But it was also that time, wasn't it, when VAR penalties were particularly strict mm. around handball, and it it was a very odd time that that October. Um, and football did it did feel quite unsettling, I think. And every week you weren't really sure of what was going to happen, but it, it everything's gone back to normal. So, <laughs> and uh, the the Man United match especially had the the Martial red card. But I think what the, the funny thing about that weekend, one of the most funny. Funny things that the, the matches were uh, one after the other. It wasn't like one on Saturday, one on Sunday. It was like, mm. okay, just sit, watch, and this is happening. You know, you got Man United Spurs first, and then you you got uh, Aston Villa and, and Liverpool. It was absolutely shocking. 
Yeah, Man United, Spurs, and then Liverpool saying, hold my beer as as, as uh, they visited Villa. And the curious thing about that was that that was actually when they still pretty much had their first choice back mm. for Liverpool. And at the time, we didn't think that Villa necessarily were going to and Liverpool were going to. They did have Adrian in goal, which is possibly significant. Um, yeah, anyway. Well, it all left back in uh, early October. Everton top with Villa second and Arsenal in the top four. Uh, with Man City and Man United, meanwhile, 14th and 16th, respectively. Things obviously a little different as we approach the reverse fixtures this weekend. Which one are you most looking forward to, Natalie? I'm very much looking forward to City Leeds because the first match was already so exciting and style of football, and I'm very much looking forward. Mm. Dom? Well, obviously, I want... Palace to win on aggregate against Spurs, uh, sorry, against Chelsea by beating them 5 0 at Sellers. But, you know, in the absence of that not happening, let's go with the, the Spurs rematch against United because I think Jose and United is a is always a good uh, collision, isn't it? Let's be honest. Mm. And Duncan? Um, I'm going to go for West Ham Leicester right. because it's intriguing and theoretically it could be the 2022 Champions League final played in the Gazprom Arena. So it could be a really good preview for that. <laughs> well, we chuckle, but you know, stranger things have happened and not too long ago in this crazy sport of football. It is a really interesting uh, situation as we head towards uh, that West Ham-Leicester game. In the top four, you've got United second on 60 points. Leicester are four points behind them on 56. And fourth, as of Monday's 3-2 win at Wolves, are West Ham. They're four points behind Leicester, who they face on Sunday with Chelsea a point behind in fifth. Crikey. Spurs and Liverpool aren't that far behind them, and Everton are in, kind of in the mix as well because they've got a game in hand. West Ham, though, let's focus on them now as they burst back into the Champions League positions. The 3-2 win away at Wolves. Another fabulous uh, performance from Jesse Lingard. What's going to happen with him and against Leicester this weekend? Well, we're joined now by Rashane Thomas of The Athletic. Hello, Rashane. Hi, good morning, guys. Good morning to you. Uh, what did you make of Monday's performance then? I thought Monday was a really good performance, considering, you know, Declan Rice, was, uh, as we know, ruled out for four to six weeks prior to the match. A lot of West Ham fans were like, oh, no, why now? Of all the times when we're doing well, this happens. But I thought that first half performance, especially the first 38 minutes, was really good. Really good uh, three, three goals up. Team played well, could have scored more goals, in fact. Antonio hit the post. And after that match, I tweeted that right now, when I think of West Ham, I see 11 brothers on that field. And, and it got a good reaction because I feel like it's a thing where a lot of West Ham fans can relate to it. Quite often we've spoken about you know, West Ham being a, a team with like 11 individuals. But under David Moyes, as I mentioned, 11 brothers and they're all doing so well. What about Jesse Lingol, as uh, Thomas Muller would describe him? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not slowing down, ramping it up. Yeah, in, in absolutely brilliant form. Uh, six goals and eight appearances as well as two assists and an England recall in, during the international break. I'm so happy for him because prior to joining West Ham alone, he hadn't played in the league at all for Man United. He only played, I believe, uh, 179 minutes. So for him to come alone at West Ham and do so well, you know, become a popular member of the gesture room, like everyone likes him. And that's what you have at West Ham right now, likeable, likeable players. Um, I always say it that that synchronised celebration during the 2-1 win over Tottenham where you have like Lingard playing the fluet, uh, Declan Rice beating the drums, Paulo Fornals, the guitar, like 
Last season, there was not one synchronized celebration. Not one. Mm-hmm. Quite often, it would be Antonio celebrating and he'll be doing it by himself. So now we have it where everyone's joining Lingard. And again, it just shows what the morale is like in the camp right now. What happens to him at the end of the season? Is there any chance he'll stick around in East London, Roshane? Well, West Ham will do everything they can to, to sign him on a permanent deal. He's performed so well uh, at the club right now. And in January, so not January, in December, Man United extended Lingard's deal. Seeing his contract expired at the end of next season. So West Ham will do everything they can to, can to sign him. It's believed that Man United are looking to sell him in a regional like 20, 25 million. So that'll be good for, for West Ham. And that'll be the priority this summer. That'll be the first priority for David Moyes to get him signed on a permanent deal. Because as I mentioned, he's been great in terms of like uh, socialising with the players. I'll tell you, for instance, like Mark Knobel. He's formed a really good friendship with uh, Jesse Lingard. So stuff like that, that fans wouldn't necessarily know about has enabled, enabled the team to do well. So I, and for sure, I hope it's a deal that can get done. Because if not, I'll definitely set up a GoFundMe so I can create some <laughs> extra money for, so that they can get the deal over the line. Right. Following the Rio Ferdinand model, no? If you don't like how the club's sure. trying to get some money together, <laughs> take it over. Nice. Uh, and... Will it be, Roshane, what do you believe in your heart of hearts right now? Is it going to be Champions League football for the Hammers next season? That'll be so good. And I was watching the um, virtual open trade session yesterday uh, that West Ham were doing on Twitter. And Kevin Olin said the next eight games will be like cup finals. And when you think about it, you know, recently it's sort of been eight cup finals. have been like West Ham to stay in the league. Now it's eight cup finals, West Ham to get Champions League. And I honestly think West Ham can do it. Right now, the two toughest games that remains are the one against Leicester this Sunday and the one against Chelsea. Barring that, you have matches against Brighton coming up to Southampton that I think West Ham can win. But you know what? The sort of frustration is, it's reached the point where you're thinking like, that 3-3 draw against Arsenal, that could have been points. You know, that defeat here could have been points. It's sort of a stage where you're sort of looking on games thinking, oh, why couldn't West Ham get two points here? Why couldn't West Ham get a win there? But listen, regardless what happens, it's been an absolute success so far this season. And my biggest takeaway is the fact that right now, fans have West Ham back. Fans have West Ham back. You think about the 80s of West Ham doing well, the 90s of West Ham doing well on the higher ed app, even on Adam Pardew, the, the togetherness of team spirit, even the West Ham finished the top four or even top six, or if, or if they fail to do that, as we touched on, injuries happening, fans have their team back. West Ham, though, don't have fans back. And there are people, Roshane, who suggest that their success this season might not be unconnected with the absence of any supporters there at the London Stadium. Your opinion? Uh, I strongly disagree with this, because during the 15-16 um, season, West Ham last tried to qualify for Champions League. The fans were there, cheering the players on a weekly basis. So it's a case where I feel like people are putting 2-2 two, two together and saying, oh, fans aren't there, West Ham are doing well, it must be that, but... It's not, it's just about the togetherness in the team that's enabled West Ham to do well this season. Well, Band of Brothers go again Sunday at five minutes past two and they take on Leicester. Huge stuff. Roshane, thank you so much for joining us this morning. No worries at all. And if West Ham finish in top four, you know, I'll be doing backflips all over all over East London. So, so, <laughs> so I need to start working on my cardio. <laughs> Roshane Thomas, fascinating stuff. So Roshane calls this Sunday's clash with Leicester one of the two really tough tests between now and the end of the season for the Hammers. They beat Leicester, though, 3-0 earlier on in the season, and that was before they even had Jay Ling. So why is this one so tough? Well, there is a four-point difference between West Ham and Leicester. Of course, Leicester has progressed a lot during the season. They look more mature. They look more aware of what they need to do. They they really learned a lot from what happened last season. But if Leicester loses to West Ham and Chelsea beats Palace, 
uh, it becomes very tight between those three teams. And, and Brendan Rodgers is always praising how much the team learned from what happened last season. And I think now it's really the time to show it. They, they, they can't let it become so uncomfortable for Leicester. And, and West Ham can be in a more comfortable position if they if they beat Leicester. And it's, it's really a statement, you know. And Leicester will probably have James Madison in their starting 11 since he, he was available against uh, City. He featured only on second half, the, the same uh, case for Ricardo Pereira. I think the main difference is that West Ham is playing like they have nothing to lose. Nobody was expecting West Ham to, to be in this position. If they get only Europa League, it's great. But Leicester, Leicester never left top four in the entire season. So they have a lot to lose if they let this leap, which I don't think it will be the case, but it, it really brings some weight to, to this match. Okay, they haven't lost in any of their four previous trips to the London Stadium. Only Man United have a better away record than them this season, the Foxes. What do you think, Duncan? It's it's an intriguing game. I mean, West Ham have been one of the deepest lying teams um, and the least kind of on the front foot with pressing um, other than Newcastle in the Premier League this season. But they've obviously got some really good attackers. But I think what Lingard's done is he's he's basically allowed them to transition from defence to attack. Oh, much. No. Yay, sorry, from the Sam. defensive phase. From the defensive phase, um, from a low block, transitioning up the uh, what I like to call the green zone, a.k.a. the pitch. Um, basically, uh, Lingard's already scored th- three goals from carries this season, which is good. Sorry, carry, that's probably against the law as well. Um, what does it mean, and uh, It means uh, progression uh, for five yards or more. So Lingard has scored three of those. <laughs> We've, we've gone deep in the matrix here. Anyway, only Leeds have scored more counter-attack goals than West Ham in the Premier League this season. And four of West Ham's five such goals have come since Lingard joined the team. So I think he really has transformed what they can do in games, even if they're being kind of contained. So right. is, it's is really that, fascinating. Dom, is that, does that sound like a particularly difficult kind of opponent for Leicester to face? It, it, would, it would appear to nullify the chance of Jamie Vardy breaking at pace in the, in the old-fashioned Leicester way. But I do think they've got a bit more subtlety about them now. And If Madison plays, then, then he can pick a pass through a, a, a packed defence. Um, so I wouldn't have... Too many qualms. And Leicester's away form is, as you say, absolutely spectacular. Mm. It's They're almost more comfortable playing away from home. And uh, it is an intriguing match, definitely. And, and I look at West Ham's running and actually think they've actually, it's actually quite tricky. I, I disagree with Roshane, really, on that. I think there's only really... By the time you get to West Brom in the penultimate match, you're thinking that they probably will have gone by then. And Southampton at home on the last day, again, that'll be against a mid-table team. But the rest of them, they've all got something to play for, or whether that be relegation or European qualification. And I think that will really, really test West Ham's momentum. Hmm. Um, but fantastic season. I was just looking back to see what... I covered Everton when Moisey took them fourth, and they got 61 points that season. They had a minus goal difference doing it. Uh, this is a greater, this is a better achievement than that, I think, for, for West Ham to have 50, is it 52 at the moment with eight games to play, having been in a relegation scrap last season, a bit like Everton were, I guess, but to be above teams of this calibre, to be above your Chelsea who spent 200 million last season, to be above the league champions in, in Liverpool and to be, you know, miles away from Arsenal, I think that's... That's a hell of an achievement already for them, and and it would it would feel disappointing if they did only get Europa League qualification. But really, they should be they should be congratulated for getting anywhere close for this. Mm. 
Well, as Natalie was saying, if Chelsea, who are only one point behind the Hammers, were to get the result against Palace this weekend, it would get really tight in that particular battle. Chelsea, of course, beaten bewilderingly 5-2 by the Baggies at the bridge last weekend. But 2-0 winners midweek against Porto. Dom, very much your beat this, Thomas Tuchel's side. Good reaction that on Wednesday after the West Brom game, but not as one-sided as the scoreline suggests against Porto. No, Porto were very, very good and and did test Chelsea, but I think that actually makes that result far more impressive. I mean, it's for them to emerge from, from that game in Seville with a clean sheet and to be recognisable from the side that had gone those 14 games unbeaten was was an achievement because that was a traumatic experience for them on Saturday to concede five at home to West Brom. Um, and then to have the fallout with the, you know, the squabbling in the in the post-match dressing room to start off with, Aspilicueta, Reese James, um, some very honest opinions expressed at the, the frustrations of the performance. And then for it to spill over again amongst, with, with Kepa and Rudiger on the Sunday, Two players who weren't even involved. They were both on the substitutes bench the previous day, but but it was an indication that, that there is always tension in that Chelsea squad. There is all it's always there. It's it's waiting to be exposed, and it doesn't take a lot to expose it. And it was a, a real eye opener, I imagine, for Thomas Tuchel. Uh, he will he will know a lot more about his players and the the group he's got now. But he he will have emerged from from the game in Seville a, a really robust test put up by Porto and he'll just think well I've got some character in this squad now mm. I, I can this is a team that I can do something with um, properly because they, they, they've got they've got bite they've got creation Mason Mount just goes from strength to strength I'm still baffled by the reaction amongst certain people that just, just, just don't rate him he is a phenomenal player and they've got options as well I mean Olivier Giroud comes on and we, we forget that Olivier Giroud he scored four goals in Seville in the, in the group game at Sevilla um, they've got they've got plenty of 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 options. Ziyech didn't even get off the bench. Hudson Odoi didn't get off the bench. I mean, they're going to be a threat. Yeah, a lot of Chelsea fans are actually wondering what it would take to get some of those players off the bench in place of the likes of uh, well, the team of Werner and, and Kai Havertz. But to Mason Mount, after being rested against West Brom, possibly not insignificantly given how that game went, uh, getting on the score sheet with a wonderful turn and finish to open the scoring, and Ben Chilwell with his first Champions League goal as well, uh, doing an Alonso. Yeah, I agree with Don when, when he says that uh, they are going to be a threat, but uh, it's it's still a bit frustrating uh, to see Chelsea's upfront action. If you consider Tuho's philosophy and how much expectation... Because he's a very creative uh, manager. So I, I was thinking... I know it's still early days. He only arrived in January. It's always complicated to arrive in the middle of the season. But I, I just, I just wanted to see a little bit more of the sparks, and I see these sparks in Mason Mount because he produces things differently, and and he offers something different and special. His movements are very clever, so it's it's really been a joy to to see Mason Mount uh, play like that. And and uh, regarding the Porto match, as Piliqueta was just brilliant because uh, Porto was fearless uh, many times in, in many periods of the match and Aspiriqueta uh, delivered an outstanding performance. Magnificent. We're next up from Seville to Selhurst Park uh, Dom for the Dom Fifield derby. Uh, that's a tough one for you, I imagine. 
it's it's had its moments, but you know, not very many moments, um, which makes made them all the more special. And, and I think they've won five of their six trips to to sell us last six trips to sell us, and 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 you know, on paper they they shouldn't have a an issue this weekend. But you know, in between two Porto matches, traveling to and from Seville, eyes on progress in Europe. Palace with very little to worry about in terms of their, their, their top flight status and a few players with some points to prove. I don't think it will be a cakewalk for Chelsea. I don't think it'll be. They'll, I don't think they'll be doing to, to Palace what Liverpool did um, coming to sell us. I think they're a different proposition now. Mm. All right. Now also midweek action uh, was Man City who had that two-one win on Tuesday over Dortmund. Uh, featuring some star turns, especially from one Dortmund youngster, but not the one that a lot of people were expecting. Jude Bellingham earning rave reviews for his performance, 17-year-old, running the show. And he should also have had the equaliser, no? That was the head-in-hands moment of the week. I mean, what is VAR doing if not allowing that goal? It's extraordinary. But um, he, they can't, though, Duncan, once the whistle's blown. But so it's the referee's error, that was, wasn't it? Yeah. So the referee blew the whistle before he put the ball in the net, but he was about two yards out with nobody around. He was about to roll the ball into the net, the referee blows, and poor Jude turns round and just shouts, but, what are you doing, ref? And, and quite rightly, because I know, VAR can't come back. And, yeah, yeah, but I know theoretically that is the case, but philosophically, what Philosophically, what is the yes. I mean, you know. It was a terrible decision and not the only one by the referee who luckily was corrected on his earlier assignation of a penalty for a Man City by VAR. Bellingham though was involved in the build-up when uh, Dortmund did equalise through Marco Royce uh, who scored the first Champions League goal that City have conceded in 788 minutes. Wow that that sounds like a lot. Uh, It was a big surprise basically the way this game was going, especially given Dortmund's recent wobbles in the the Bundesliga. As it turned out, City did get the victory through Phil Foden, another playroom pressed in the 90th minute, but not an ideal evening or scoreline for City ahead of next week in Germany. Yes, again, uh, City showed a problem that they showed against Mönchengladbach, uh, that's not uh, wasting a few more opportunities that they they should have and Pep has talked about it and in Champions League this is especially a problem because they could have scored more and of course uh, Phil Folden was brilliant but he, he also uh, wasted two big opportunities for for City is a collective problem, uh, but it's something that that City really should improve for 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 the second leg. Pep actually said after the match that they weren't so good with the ball during first half, and and on second half they created more, but they wasted these opportunities. So there is there is a lot of room for for improvement for the second leg. I think a few people th- looked at the lineup and thought, oh no, is is Guardiola going a bit? Big Champions League game, going to experiment. But actually, if you think about it, that team with no recognised striker has probably been City's strongest um, lineup this season. You know, the the kind of era when Gundogan was scoring loads of goals at the start of the year. That was very much the the sort of setup. So I don't think it was that. I think they did look a little bit nervous, and I think everyone at the club, you know, they've they've won domestic trebles, they've won the League Cup every year since eighteen twelve. They but it's the Champions League that everyone wants, and and I think that did kind of seep into the the play a little bit. And I thought it was in, instructive that that Phil Foden scored the winner because he actually looked like the City player, kind of least affected by that by that worry. 
Yeah. Wonderful non-celebration as well afterwards. I particularly admired his ability at that age to score such a potentially huge goal and, and so vigorously strike it home and then immediately just freeze and just walk away as the explosion rages behind him. Uh, Pep's nervousness possibly to do with the fact that he's never taken Man City beyond the quarterfinals in four attempts. How worried should he be about the second leg if Haaland wakes up, that kind of thing? I still think City will go through. Um, for all that, that Dortmund were excellent and will obviously carry a threat in that second game, but just I just, I just think that City can step up again. Maybe that's just because I'm so used to it happening in the Premier League, to be honest. Um, but and, not I mean, happening we, in the Champions League. No, exactly. And it, and this is this is an issue. And you, you, you hope that, the, that there isn't a strange selection, that he doesn't try and get too clever. Because I think I think this City team wins if in a head-to-head, even you know if Dortmund are the home team. It, I think they, they, they do go through. They It may not be rioters' victory or whatever, but it, but they do get they do get past them. And I fully expect them to. But just on this tie, if you're Gareth Southgate looking at that with Phil Foden and Jude Bellingham, you really, really it's a mouth watering prospect having these two kids in your in your setup this summer. Bellingham's progress in Germany has been nothing short of phenomenal. Um and I, I do there's an irony there, of course, that, that you know, one of the, the best young English talents and, and Sancho as well, obviously, but although he's not quite a certainty for the squad. But th- this is a player that is he, he was nurtured at Birmingham City, don't get me wrong, he, they played a massive part in his development, but it's kicked on in Germany. It's a ger- The German system is now benefiting England, which is probably about time, to be honest. Hmm. Birmingham's decision to retire his squad number is now looking pretty sensible, I would yeah. say. So. All righty, well, that's coming up next week, the return match with Kevin De Bruyne, who has now, as you've read, signed a new deal with City until 2025. Left-handed as well. So he's left-handed and right-footed, which is a... I don't know, is that rare? I'm not an expert on this. It's not as rare as you'd think, Duncan. Mm. Pretty mean with his right hand as well, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm very curious, actually, about the the weekend fixture against Leeds because uh, Guardiola mentioned that Leeds is the worst opponent you can have in between uh, those two Dortmund matches because it's such a demanding match and physically... And I'm very interested to see how he will rotate the team. Because after international break, you have Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, He played both matches, but uh, is he going to rest against Leeds to play against Dortmund? And at the same time against Dortmund, you had uh, players like Rodri and uh, especially João Cancelo. They didn't do so well. They weren't at their best, but are they going to play the weekend so they can rest uh, and they, they will rest against Dortmund? I don't know. It's all linked up and I'm very interested to see how this rotation will will go because uh, Guardiola's been doing this really, really well. It's been such an important part of this uh, brilliant City campaign. So, so, yeah, very interested in the lineups. Yeah, it's curious isn't it? because the game is essentially meaningless for Man City who are so far ahead that the titles are all but a certainty. But this is a clash with his great footballing obsession, Marcelo Bielsa, so I'm sure he doesn't want to put on a bad show. You spoke to him this uh, this last week, Natalie. How, what was that like? Was it an easy conversation with Pep? 
Yes, actually, it was it was really nice. He said a lot of interesting things, and uh, I was particularly interested in in his relationship with his players because I remember after the fourth season in Barcelona, and I even mentioned that uh, to him uh, that Dani Alves said that the players couldn't get there anymore; they they couldn't uh, respond to what Pep was asking them. And now he has season number five uh, in in Man City, and I asked him if he changed his approach with his players and then he said uh that no that he didn't and football is business and as as he was closer to the players when he was in barcelona but now uh if the play if they they can be friends great if they cannot then it's okay because it's it's a business and it should be treated like it like that and uh he said that he he finds it easier to relate and to get closer to players who think about the team so you can kind of understand the 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 this line of thought of not having these very very big stars this Ibrahimoviches and Sergio Aguero's yeah <laughs> in in his squad because he likes these players and, and even in a, a personal level he can relate mm. more with the players who play for the team you know I found that very interesting who's his favorite player do you think then Natalie well he really likes Fernandinho and uh, and Kevin Kevin because he Kevin I think is a perfect example of a, a Guardiola a Guardiola player because he really plays for the team and he's low key uh, personally he's a low key personality and he plays for the team and he makes things that are actually very hard he makes it look very simple. I spoke to Kevin after the the Leicester match, after that brilliant assist, and his answer was like, "Yes, no. For for me, it was simple because the guys make the runs, and I just find the space. And it's it's not simple, but but he makes it sound like it's so simple. Yeah, everybody's just making the runs, and I'm just throwing the passes, you know. And I think, and I've heard this from many Guardiola players that uh, once you get what he wants, it's very simple to play right. under Guardiola. Although possibly not when you're taking on Leeds in between two big Champions League fixtures. Quite a good time to be playing Man City, though, from Leeds' point of view. Uh, are you expecting another humdinger, Dom? Yeah, because I always expect that when Leeds play. Um, one way or the other, they're, they're, just, they're still brilliant to watch. Um, that that first game, I mean, that, that was a Saturday night game in the original mm. weekend, wasn't it? And, and that was the, the fixture that really blew us all away. We thought this is this is this is sensational, you know, 174 chances and uh, you know more more on goal. It was it was absolutely phenomenal. And then events of the Sunday rather overshadowed it. But as a competitive match, it was it was breathtaking. I mean, it, it could have gone either way. It was uh, hopefully it's, this is the same again. Although I, I suspect that um, City's momentum probably carries them beyond Leeds this time. Leeds had um, 52% possession in that game, which doesn't sound a lot, but it's the most an opponent's ever had in a league game against a Pep Guardiola team. That's so. amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, I just hope it's not like uh, Leeds-Chelsea, where we had very high expectations and we ended up with, you know... But that was partly because of the pitch as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that that's was true. Such a, that playing surface shambles. The, the green zone. Yeah. Okay. Well, more delights next as we look ahead to Spurs Man United. Hopefully, another seven goal thriller there and much, much more. Keep listening for Jack Lang versus Natalie Jedra in the Inter Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. 
And we apologize for any bad language you may hear. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sasuheno says, could Natalie explain how World Cup qualification in South America is supposed to continue, Natalie? We don't know. Okay. <laughs> no, really, no, no. I'll, I'll get into more details. Well, they played uh, four matches already, mm-hmm. uh, two rounds, and then we didn't have the matches in March, uh, especially because the, the internationals couldn't travel to, to South America. So I think once the internationals can travel through to South America, uh, this will all be okay, and they will find uh, room to, to do the other fixtures. But they have uh, scheduled fixtures before, Copa America, and then in September, and they will carry on. Okay. All right, then. Back to the Premier League. Sunday, 4.30, it is Spurs against Man United. 6-1 back in October, which had Spurs fans dreaming. They're not dreaming now. Uh, Let's not make it all about Mourinho, because he'd hate that, after all. Instead, (laughs) let's say, did that defeat back in October, did it change the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer approached all the big games since then. They've had seven meetings against big six opposition since that day and they've drawn five of them nil-nil. You can't help but not be scarred um, by a 6-1 home defeat. Um, so the, the, there was always going to be a reaction to that. I'm surprised that, that United maybe have the capacity to, to pull out nil-nil draws because, of the, you know, when you saw the, the, the shambolic nature of their defending that day, they didn't look like a team that could organise um, or that could be organised. Um, but I suppose the next stage was always going to go to the other extreme if he, if he, if he could get some discipline back there and, he, and he's managed that. It's about how they kick on now. They need to start making some of these nil-nil draws and, and, and tight contests. They need to open them up a bit and and, and prevail in them. And that's, that's the, the, the big question that's to be asked of, of Solskjaer. Mm. That first clash was influenced by the red card for Martial. What do you see happening this time around, Natalie? Well, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not that excited about the match because uh, we have two teams who heavily rely on good performances from individual players. You have Manchester United who relies on Bruno Fernandes and brilliant performances. If Bruno Fernandes is well, you usually see uh, Man United delivering a good performance. If not, not always. And in in Spurs side, Harry Kane. And they, they haven't been exciting to say the least. Uh, so I don't know, may, maybe, and, and I really hope I'm wrong. So, cause I don't want to see a match that relies on, on two players doing something, but it's, it's what these two teams have been showing recently. So, I mean, there's also the ongoing Harry Kane 
progression as he slowly hauls in Alan Shearer's um, Premier League record for goals. He goes level with Robbie Fowler with his next goal. It's quite, uh, it's quite satisfying or unsatisfying depending on your point of view and who you support to see him slowly picking off all these great names in, in Premier League history. Who's next after Robbie Fowler? Well, then it's a bit of a bigger gap to 175 goals, but it is Thierry Henry, so that's that's a pretty big one for North London goal fans. I would I would suggest. There is a frustration, though, isn't there? I know I know we're talking about individual players here, but and and a lot of this has been hogged onto in, in the Spurs case or Mourinho saying almost implying that his squad isn't good enough and his players aren't good enough, but almost. <laughs> Hinting. There's so much talent in that Tottenham squad. It's that I, I watched their game last weekend at Newcastle, and that was what I found most exasperating. And that the, they played for about twenty minutes, about five minutes around the, their their two goals, and they, they had some good moments on the break, second half. And you just look at the mouthwatering talent they've got going forward, and even in midfield, Ndombélé and La Celso are, are brilliant players. Joburg's been fantastic for them. Lucas Moura, Son, Gareth Bale on the bench for to start off with. I mean, and then Kane on top of all that. And yeah, I, I, if I was a Tottenham fan, I'd be exasperated just watching this and thinking I think it could are. have been. Yeah, I remember in the beginning of the season, we were having this discussion about who had the best squad, if it was Spurs or if it was Chelsea. And it was a real argument, you know, you have good arguments for both sides. I still think Spurs have one of the best squads in the Premier League. So, yeah, I'm with Dom on this one. I can't get over that, really. Mm. And you think it's the chance to do a league double over Manchester United, which they haven't done since before the first web page was in, was created. So it's been a while. Some people hadn't, probably hadn't typed Spursy on a keyboard the mm. last time that happened. So. Well, we'll see if Harry Kane can get internet this weekend. Anyway, interesting situation just to kind of wrap up the rest of the Premier League weekend. Down the bottom, you've got West Brom, who are eight points from safety, hosting Saints on Monday. The next team up, Fulham, will be hosting Wolves on Friday night. A win there would put Fulham level with Newcastle ahead of the Magpies' trip to Burnley and would leave Wolves themselves a less than comfortable six points above the drop. Ooh, But it does involve Fulham winning that game. And as Daniel Story was saying in our last show, hanging around for the Fulham comeback has become like something out of Samuel Beckett. Do you think they're going to get it together this weekend against Wolves? Fulham have the worst home record, let me just say, in the Premier League. What do you think? It will be interesting to see uh, how Fulham will react after conceding three goals in 10 minutes against Villa. Because, mm. you know, Scott Parker is a manager with a very strong mentality. He was like that as a player already. Uh, we, we just have to see if his players also have this this strong mentality going for them because uh, two teams from the bottle had had big mental boosts. You know, Newcastle after that solid performance against Tottenham and West Brom against Chelsea. So they they, they come from a strong moment, uh, even even though West Brom is, is further down the table. So I, I really want to see how, how Fulham will respond to that. It does contain... James, I think this is one of your favourite stats, isn't it? The players to have had the most shots without scoring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while, actually. Let's hear the top two this season uh, Adama Traore with 26 and uh, Anguissa with 25. So. Traore, though, with an assist on Monday. Was that his first of, of the season? It's going to be up there, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, yeah, he's not, not been doing too well. 
Uh, there you go. So that's Fulham against Wolves. Burnley against Newcastle, I mentioned, that's Sunday midday. Uh, seven games without a win for Newcastle, although they did uh, get a bit of a morale booster against Spurs last Sunday. Burnley with only one win at Turf Moor so far this year. Uh, yes, and it will be crucial that Newcastle can carry on and, and not drop points against Burnley because their fixture list until the end of the season is a nightmare. After Burnley, Newcastle have, have uh, West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester and Man City. And then they have Sheffield United in the final game against Fulham. So mm. this Burnley match, it is, it, it's very important for them looking at the, the fixture list. Had a lot of people requesting an update on the Premier League building materials goal scorer chart because Chris Wood's been in, in yes. fine form. Mm. So um, it's Wood well clear on 42 now, then Stone or Stones on 30, Cork on 13, Granite on 9, Glass on 7, and then a couple of new entries just because I thought they were reasonable. Um, Formica on 4 and Hierro uh, on 1, obviously Spanish for iron. So, All right then. Uh, Sunday evening, a comparatively meaningless Sheffield United-Arsenal. Uh, it's kind of over, isn't it, for both those sides, that fair? Arsenal's sort of Europa League or bust, isn't it? Mm. And Sheffield United is bust. building for next season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Then on Monday, you've got West Brom, as we mentioned, against Saints. And Brighton-Everton, Duncan? West Brom Saints is the altitude classico, the highest Premier League ground ever. Uh, the Hawthorns 552 feet against the lowest St Mary's at, at a mere three feet, like Bolivia playing the Netherlands. Not the like that. Game. Is 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 St Mary's <laughs> lower than Blackpool? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Well, I think they must so. Have high pavements. Well, no, I've, I've been informed, so I haven't personally measured. Because mm. it's right by the docks, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So. Blackpool's right by the. Uh, coast. Yeah, but there's, there's a there's a break oh, on the beach. There's a break on the beach. If anybody's got any info <laughs> on that. <laughs> well, I have info on on matches in Bolivia, and I can assure okay. that it's very very different to the Hawthorns. From, uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. No. Uh, that's you know, your opinion, Natalie. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Me and the whole South America. <laughs> have you been to a game in, in, in like La Paz or something? Yes, yes, I have. God, uh, I made a terrible mistake when I when I covered a match in La Paz. I forgot that I was in La Paz. And then I, I sprint because I, I had to get something before I, I, I went on air. And then I sprint. In a moment, I forgot that I was in La Paz. My goodness, it took me like ten minutes to recover, honestly. And and the reporters, they I remember two reporters who who couldn't finish the finish their jobs because they weren't feeling <laughs> feeling well. Right. It's 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 really it's four thousand four thousand meters, yeah, uh, of altitude. So, God, wow. yeah, it's oh, quite amazing. something. It's yeah. an experience, yeah. Uh, amazing stuff. Okay. Uh, well. Tell you what, next up, something that might leave you breathless as well, Natalie, as I segue seamlessly into today's edition of the Intertotally Cup. The Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy's offers are at full capacity. Get a free bet if one leg of your four plus fold ACA lets you down on all football matches and markets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begamblerware.org. Intertotally, everybody. One side of this most traditional and esteemed of competitions, is already completed. Michael Cox 
the reigning champion, is through to a quarterfinal with Matt Davis-Adams, while Duncan here will be facing Sasha Gurionov. Still to come, we've got Dom Fifield up against James Horncastle. Uh, Lindsay Hooper taking on Julian Laurence. Alvaro Romeo against Benji Lagnado. And today, Natalie, it's you against Jack Lang. Let's meet the contestants. <laughs> First, from the far-flung favelas of Falmouth, he's fluent in Portuguese and dirty tricks. He is Jack, the sportsman. What? No, 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 everybody. That's behind him now. Come on. Fresh start for 2021. Jack, I'm sorry about this. Thank you for joining us today. Thank thank you for joining us. What's what's the music? That's rather nice. Uh, Stereo Lab. Oh, nice. Oh, I love that then. Okay, great. Well, great to have you back. You you reached the semi-finals last year by hook or by crook, but still, you reached the the final the final four. How do you fancy your chances this time around? Uh, well, I'd forgotten all about it until Charlie texted me about ten minutes ago. So, fair <laughs> to say, preparations haven't been particularly diligent. Well, it's general knowledge, isn't it? So you know, you either got it or you don't. Uh, this year, one of the exciting new developments is that the winner. Uh, progressing to the quarterfinals will also earn £10 uh, for the charity of their choice, which Paddy Power will place on a bet of their choosing. And the winnings from that bet will also go to the charity. So who's your charity going to be? Uh, mine is the Down Syndrome Association. Excellent. All right, then. Well, let's meet your opponent. And his opponent... She's chewed more stats than Pele's much those little blue pills, bringing her knowledge from Kilburn via Sao Paulo. It's Natalie Jedra. Natalie Jedra, welcome to the Intertotally Cup. Again. Are we doing this in Portuguese? No. <laughs> James, James probably could cut it, actually. Yeah, I don't want to show off. No. <laughs> So now, uh, Natalie, oh, you had an early exit last year. Yes. I think there was a bad choice of specialist rounds, but you were saying just now that you're not a big fan of quizzes. I'm sorry. Yes, no, I, I know it's very big here. I was surprised, actually, when I moved to England, how, how big quiz night is. <laughs> right. I find that, it entertaining, yes. Is that is that something that I thought that everybody loved quizzes, but it's just in this kind of weird rainy island, is it? <laughs> it's, specially, uh, it's specially popular here, let's say. All right. Well, you live, breathe and work football. So uh, let's see how you get on then uh, with your general knowledge questions in a second or two. But your nominated charity is, Natalie? Cure Parkinson. Okay, excellent stuff. Off with the questions then. And it's Jack Lang up first. Jack, if you're ready, here comes question one. Which Norwegian club did Red Bull Salzburg sign Erling Haaland from? Molde. Is correct. Question two. Which team has lost... The most European Cup or Champions League finals? Um, probably one that's been in quite a few. So let's go for AC Milan. It's wrong. It's Juventus with seven. Okay, question three. Working backwards, who is the next name in this sequence of Real Madrid managers? Zinedine Zidane, Santi Solari, Yulan Lopetegui, Zinedine Zidane, and who's the previous man to Zinedine's first stint? Rafa Benitez. Is correct. Question four. Who was the first Premier League manager to be sacked this season? 
Gonna have to hurry there, Jack. Yeah. Uh, let's Who's see. the first man to get the chop? Slavin Bilic. Is correct. Woof. And question five. Which Spanish team play their home games at El Madrigal? You should know this, Jack. Uh, Villarreal. Is correct. So, a very impressive four points out of five. How do you feel about that? I will take that, yeah. Mm, very good. Okay, Natalie, he set a high oh, bar for you yes, to match or did. surpass. Let's see how you get on then. Question one for Natalie. Which Bundesliga side did Tottenham sign Son Hyung Min from? Mm, was Wolfsburg? No, it was Bayer Leverkusen. Question two. Who was the most recent team to win the Champions League for the first time? The most recent first-time winners of the Champions League. Mm. Chelsea? Is correct in 2012. Question three. Working backwards, who is the next name in this reverse sequence of Barcelona managers? Ronald Koeman, Kike Setien, Ernesto Valverde, Luis Enrique and... Pep Guardiola. No, it was Tata Martino. Oh, Tata Martino. Yeah. Okay, well, can't now match Jack's total, but I'm going to ask you the next two questions anyway, if that's all right. Do you want to hear the next two questions? Oh, yes. Okay, question four. (laughs) Who did Wayne Rooney replace as Derby County manager this season? After Frank Lampard... I don't remember. Jack? Philippe Cocu. Uh, Philippe Cocu. Yeah. And question five. Which Serie A team play their home games at the Artemio Franchi Stadium? You know really? this, James. Yeah. Yeah. Artemio Franchi? Jack, surely you know this. I think it's Fiorentina. Well, it is, Yeah. All right. There was a time when that name rang out among football fans. Possibly at the moment, not so much. But, you know, there you go. Anyway, Natalie, a very creditable uh, well, one point, I think. There? Yeah, para yeah. beans, Jack. Well, yeah, yeah. Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very disappointed uh, with the lack of Brazilian questions. Uh, yeah, me too. Me, me too. <laughs> me three. Right. Jack, to be fair, with his incredible knowledge of uh, Brazilian football. Yes, would, exactly. Uh, yeah. That's very generous. Mm. Thank you for taking part anyway, Natalie. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, you know, your lack of interest in, in quizzes notwithstanding. And Jack, <laughs> congratulations, Parabéns, to you. You also earned £10 for your charity and the proceeds of your charity bet. And Dom, you could be facing Jack in a semi-final. Well, I'm sure Jack's quaking in his boots at the prospect. This is <laughs> No this, chance. <laughs> This season is quite uh, daunting with like the array of faces watching. I swear it was more intimate last year. <laughs> this, is, this is a behind-closed-doors quiz, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Duncan, what's your comment on all this as a face that's been watching? I just, I think uh, lovers of the quiz game are just pleased to see Jack go through in a respectful, kind of normal manner. Um, the game was brought a little bit into disrepute last year. So, yeah, it's just good to see him kind of return to a, a, an even keel. Haters going to hate, Jack. There's only one way to answer, I say, that kind of talk, and that's to shove it right down their throats in the quarterfinals. So best of luck to you then when you return in the Intertotally Cup. That's it for today, though. 
Totally Football Show returns early Monday morning. Do hope you'll join us then, listener. But for now, it is many, many thanks to Jack and to Natalie and to Dom and to Duncan and producer Charlie. And we'll say goodbye to you all and have a lovely weekend. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.